Thank you much for your good singing today. Let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of John. Gospel of John, chapter 16 for this morning. You know, Easter is not too many weeks away, and people love to come to church on Easter. You know that? It's kind of almost amusing. They just love to come on Easter. And right before our service, I was back there talking to Jim Watson. He said he read somewhere that uh, Washington County, our county out here, was the third most job-producing county in America right now, if you can believe it. And, of course, the gas and the oil industry, I think, is just like a pumped play on play on words, pumped uh, new, uh, new money into the system. But uh, there's a lot of people moving in in Washington County. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could reach some of them with the gospel? Uh, if we could, you know, there's people from all over the country coming in and they say, well, this is a strange place here. We don't speak their language. And uh, we can teach them the language of the Lord. So what I want you to do is make a list of some uh, people uh, that you can invite to our Easter musical program. Bec and it's going to be on Good Friday and Thursday. And by the way, good things still happen on Good Friday. And uh, that would be a perfect opportunity maybe to uh, introduce them to Christ. Uh, John chapter 16. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Um, you know, faith is a... Uh, fragile thing sometimes. Sometimes we're strong in the faith and other times we just barely make it. And Jesus said, now listen, I have a message for you that, that will help you when times get tough. They will, put, they will put you out of the synagogue. That doesn't sound too drastic to us, but back during that time it was drastic. They will excommunicate you. The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that they offer God a service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. They're really unbelievers. But these things I have told you, when the time comes, you may remember that I have told you them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, is now I can talk to you about these things. It's the appropriate time. Uh, God does talk to us in appropriate times. I've always had people say to me, you know, I wasn't ready to hear this uh, five years ago or ten years ago, but I'm ready now. Uh, God talks to people uh, at appropriate times. But now I go away to you and, uh, who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He said, I know you're discouraged a little bit already. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. You know, it's a wonderful thing to have the truth told, right? Uh, it doesn't do any good if you withhold the truth. Because the truth sets people free. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, now you know that's the Holy Spirit, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. I love verse number 7. It's like, man, every time I read that, I get excited. It's like, to your advantage. And when, he, and when he has come, he will do several things, one of which is convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, 
And then he elaborates in verse 9 of sin because they do not believe in me. And he's talking about the sin of unbelief. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now that's a good thing. That makes me jump up and down. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Again, the Lord reveals things gradually to us. Uh, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. The Holy Spirit did tell those people who uh, walked with Jesus uh, things to come, to write down in the Bible, the, the letters that we have in the New Testament. And uh, he's going to do something else. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Uh, here we have a wonderful picture. In the first 12 chapters of John, we find Jesus uh, in his public ministry. But now, for all practical purposes, his public ministry is over, is finished. And so he gathers his little group of followers together uh, at this particular time, 11 of them, and uh, he begins to really coach them into what's right around the corner for them. And uh, the first thing he talks to them about is the conflict that's coming for them. Jesus warns his disciples. You know, it's a wonderful thing to have a good warning, isn't it? Parents spend most of their life warning their kids, right? Don't do that. (laughs) Please don't do that. If you touch that, you'll get hurt. Um, Warnings are good. Uh, Jesus said, listen, I've got to warn you, fellas. Uh, Conflict is right around the corner. Big changes are in store for you. Now, just think of it this morning. These things have been, this group has seen things and experienced things and heard things that no other group has ever seen or heard or experienced. And you and I have identified with those things over the last few weeks. And he said, listen, I want to give you information so that when trouble comes, you won't collapse. Your faith won't shrivel up and blow away. It's so good to be forewarned. And you know as well as I that to be forewarned is to be uh, forearmed. And uh, the warning started back in chapter 15. Uh, it, it seems like it would be a shock that the message that is so glorious would be so passionately hated. John chapter 15, turn back there, just one page in your Bible. Verse number 18 and 19 and 20. Jesus here uh, is uh, talking about this. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He's talking about, hate, hatred is a terrible thing, you know that? Out of hatred, all sorts of really, really bad things happen. Because, you know, you can only harbor hatred in your mind before it manifests itself in your behavior. And uh, verse 19, and if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, Jesus here says uh, something very similar than he says that he says in John chapter 17. You're not of this world. I want you to keep that in mind. But I choose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Now, that's pretty blunt. The world hates you. Remember the the word that I have said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. So Jesus here says, listen, 
the world's going to hate you, and the world's going to persecute you. Uh, boy, read church history. It is so illuminating. Read about William Tyndale when you go home, look him up. I can hardly say that anymore because you have your iPads in front of you. You can look it up right now, right? I was speaking in a conference in Florida to some pastors, and I, and I said, I don't know who gave this quote, so I'm, I use it. And I, but if I ever find out who, who gave it, I'll give credit. And one guy went on the internet. He had his computer, and he says, listen, you said it. And it he found this article that I, he found this article that I wrote, <laughs> and uh, just in the nick of time, you can't do any. There's everybody is so spontaneous now, you know. You can't. You can make a mistake, and somebody's sitting there and say, "Oh, that was a mistake." <laughs> uh, look up William Tyndale. He was persecuted uh, for translating the Bible into English. In fact, the people that got his Bibles were in jeopardy of losing their life because the religious establishment in England way back in the 1500s didn't want anybody to know what the Bible had to say. And so they kept the few Bibles that they had locked up. They wanted to control the people by ignorance, and that is the way to control people, by ignorance. And he said, listen, he got, had a, he got into an argument with a very learned clergyman, and he said, listen, my goal was just in a few years to publish so many Bibles that the, that the boy out in the field who plows knows more about God than you do. And uh, they hunted him down for years and he translated Bibles. Uh, Martin Luther translated the German Bible at the same time in Germany. Uh, William Tyndall translated the Bible into English for, for England. And uh, they didn't want the population to have the Bibles because uh, Tyndall was preaching that uh, we don't pray to the saints and, uh, and we, uh, we don't pay to get people out of purgatory and we don't do all these things because the Bible says uh, it doesn't substantiate those things. And they wanted to keep that all away from the people. Um, but uh, God had another plan. And they put the, they put the Bible together and uh, they put a price on his head. And uh, they caught him eventually after a number of years of importing Bibles into England. They uh, strangled him, they put him on a cross, and they burned him uh, because he wanted to give the Bible to the people. Uh, he was tried for heresy. The very things that you and I believe, he died for. And the reason why we believe those things is because we have an open Bible. Amen? We have an open Bible. Now, you can tell people religiously all sorts of things, but if they have a Bible, they can figure it out for themselves. And that God always wanted, I believe this, God always wanted every generation to have a Bible. And he always wanted the people in that generation to read their Bible and to study that Bible. And so the work of Bible translation goes on today. When this hatred and persecution came against the disciples, Jesus wanted them to be able to say uh, the same thing that William Tyndall said when he was persecuted for making a Bible. You know what he said? I never expected anything else. And so he went into it with his eyes wide open. 
And so Jesus wanted his disciples, when they started persecuting, persecuting them and killing them, he wanted them to say the same thing that William Tyndall said, I never expected anything else. And you just saw this last week, that in Iran, the Christian pastor has been charged now uh, with um, treason or something, and uh, they say they're going to take his life away for simply being a Christian. Um, this, uh, this persecution and this hatred goes back a long, long way. Hatred by the world system, the organizations, the activities, the values. John, the same writer that's writing this that we're reading this morning, over in 1 John 5.15, he says this, don't fall in love with the world. Jesus said this, the world will hate you. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he that does the will of God remains forever. Don't fall in love with this world, because just about the time uh, you start to stand up to be a Christian, uh, they will manifest their hatred to you. Um, Paul said something similar. He said, don't be conformed to this world. The world is always trying to squeeze us into his mold, into the, the mold of the world. You know that? Do you feel that? Sure. Uh, Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, which is acceptable unto God, and only your reasonable act of worship. And be not conformed to this world, pressed into its mold, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might discern what is that good and perfect will of God for your life. What happened is the world was transferring their hatred of Jesus onto the early Christians because Christians are an extension of Christ. Remember the story of the vine and the branches? We are connected. And so since Jesus isn't here, they said, okay, <laughs> the second best thing is the Christian. Uh, Peter said something... Uh, pretty interesting about this. Let's look at, I think we have that. Let's read this this morning. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. The next verse. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. Whenever we take our stand for the Lord, our former friends say, listen, uh, we can't understand that. They go one step further. They, they, uh, they talk down at you. And uh, the spiral continues and and, uh, and so John says, listen, don't fall in love with the world. And Paul says, listen, the world's trying to conform you into its image. And at the very same time, listen, God's trying to conform you into his image. And Peter says, listen, don't be surprised uh, that whenever you your, forsake your former life, uh, your friends are not going to be excited about it. Um, let's go back to chapter 16, verse number 2. Now we've done hatred, we've done persecution. Now excommunication in verse number two. They will put you out of the synagogue. Now the synagogue was so important to people back during that time. I think we have a couple uh, 
uh, the simplest form, I guess, all over the world, there are little humble synagogues like this. And in Pittsburgh, we have less than humble synagogues over there in Oakland, which you've driven by many, many times. They are very, very uh, gorgeous buildings. Synagogues were so important to people back in that day, they're important today. Uh, it was the teaching center. It was the social center. Uh, they even... They even thought at that day that prayer wasn't considered effective unless it was done in the synagogue. And so to be excommunicated from the synagogue was a really, really thing that nobody wanted to experience. But I want you to notice what else he says here in verse number two. Uh, they're going to put you out of the synagogue uh, and uh, whoever kills you will think they offer God a service. Uh, you're going to be killed too. Hatred, persecution, excommunication, death, for the service of God. Now remember, uh, Saul, whenever he was out to defeat Christianity, he thought he was doing it for God too. And so these people that are trying in Iran to kill this pastor right now, you know, they think they're doing it, doing it for their God too. Well, it's time, Jesus said it's time for you to know this. God reveals his truth gradually as we can use it. It's a good thing because, you know, all of us just have to grow gradually. You know that? We can't just have the whole ball of wax dropped on us. It's like, whoa, it's too much for us. And so the Lord feeds us if we come to, to learn. He feeds us. Um, look at verse number 12. I like it. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I think we can apply that always. I think you can apply that to your life. God has a lot to say to you, but not right now. And if you just stay uh, interested and connected with God, he'll tell you what you need to know, when you need to know it. And so first of all, he warns his people. And then he talks about the advantages of his departure. And again, I said, I, verse 7, I like. Uh, the exit of Jesus, he said, is a good thing. Uh, they had to learn this lesson, uh, the twists and the turns. Uh, they didn't have the details we do today. Uh, for instance, uh, it would be to your advantage that Jesus is arrested. That's one of the details. That was right around the corner. To your advantage that the ministry of his teaching and miracles would be stopped. To your advantage that Jesus is beaten and mocked and sentenced to, for execution and nailed to a cross. Uh, and Jesus would die in the company of criminals. And that they would take his lifeless body to the cold grave. And Jesus said, now those are the details. Jesus said, he just did the headline. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. And so I don't think that they were thinking about these details whenever all of this was happening. And he says, the reason why this is to your advantage is the Holy Spirit will come to you. And uh, that is really good and that's uh, something awesome. Look over to chapter 14, verse 16. 1416. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, counselor, advocate, that he may abide with you forever. Uh, another helper. For those of you who like to write in your Bible, write another Jesus right there. Jesus says, in effect, listen, I'm going away, but I'm going to pray to the Father, and he's going to give you another Jesus. I, I mentioned this before. Uh, the Greek word for another means the, another of the same kind. We believe that the, the, the Trinity are all one in essence. 
Jesus said, I and my Father are one, the Spirit is one with them. And so he says, I'm going to send you another Jesus. Now, this Jesus will be invisible because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And so I'm going to send you another Jesus uh, very soon. And so even though I'm not with you in the flesh, I'll be with you in my spirit. Uh, the Greek word there for helper is parakletos. The English word you may have heard is paraclete. It's sometimes used of a legal assistant cross-examining a person, showing the weakness of their case. Uh, and so, one of the first things that the Holy Spirit is going to do, if you go back to chapter 16, when he comes into the world, he's going to convict the world of sin. Verse 8, 16, 8. To convict means to convict and to convince. The Holy Spirit's not going around just making people feel bad. There's a motive. And the motive is to take them the distance to Christ, not only to make us feel bad, but to make us feel glad, to convince us uh, that uh, the message of Jesus is for real and he in indeed is the true Savior. And so this paraclete, uh, this legal assistant, is cross-examining the world right now, going on the offensive. Remember, the world was on the offensive against the Christian. And the world is on the offensive against the Christian. But listen, the Holy Spirit is on the offensive against the world to convince them, to convict them. Uh, and what is the case that he's trying to convict them for? This, I think, is it. Uh, I was uh, in the South Side this last summer. That's an experience. Uh, it was during the day, thank the Lord. And uh, they were having a big classic car show down there in one of their empty lots. And it was a festival. And I, I got down there. And I always like to carry tracks. I'm like a track machine. If you go anywhere with me, I'm dropping tracks. I want to leave a trail. I want them to know I'm around. And so I went there. Somehow I wasn't as I wasn't prepared as usual. I didn't have too many tracks. And I saw all these people and I thought, oh, this is depressing to me. Depressing. So I, I, I called Glenn Moss. I call him the mayor of the South Side. He's a member of our church, Glenn Moss. And I said, Glenn, do you have any tracks over there? And he said, oh, I have three or four. I thought, mine, that won't help much. Three or four. I said, well, bring them over to me, <laughs> at least to make me feel good. So here he comes riding a bike, bicycle, Glenn, the guy that used to drive a Pat bus. That'll make you want to drive a bicycle. Uh, and so he comes over with his tracks, and I'm going around. I'm having a ball. You know, I had some. And so I'm passing out tracks. And listen, almost everybody, and I don't say, almost everybody I give a track to takes it and thanks me. And I always go up to them and I said, have you ever, do you, have you ever seen anything like this? And they, they always say, what? No. No. I said, well, I distribute them. And uh, here, you enjoy it. And 99.5% and of the people say, thank you very much. And so I was doing my thing thinking nobody's going to turn me down, down on the south side. And so here come this young guy and I put the track, the little gospel message out in front of him, and he says, uh, I'm okay. He knew what it was. I'm okay. I think that is the case 
that the Holy Spirit is judging the world about. Because most of the people that you and I know think they are okay. They think they are okay. And by that I mean they believe in salvation by works. They believe that they are good enough to go to heaven, that God will never send them to hell because they are pretty good people. Well, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to convict them that that whole proposition is wrong. That whole proposition is in error. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and that means separation from God in hell forever. And so the Holy Spirit is on the offense. And it's interesting here, and I know that you've noticed this, and if you have a good study Bible, it tells you it, that the word here, he convicts the world of sin, is singular. Not sins, plural, but sin, singular. And it is the sin of unbelief. John MacArthur says that this is the only sin, ultimately, that damns people to hell. The only sin. And so, and so the Holy Spirit's aim... Now, now listen, we have the law of God, and that's good because that convicts people of sins, sensitizes their, their conscience. Uh, we have people's conscience, and that convicts people of their sin. And that's why there's always, a, there's always a campaign to take the Ten Commandments down. Always, right? Because when people walk by the Ten Commandments, they are convicted, right? Because they read them and say, oh, my. Oh, my. We've got to take that down. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, uh, the first step to Christ is conviction. And it is a good thing. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit is on the offensive. I believe this, that unbelief in Christ is rampant in our Christian churches. In Christian churches. Uh, Billy Graham used to say all the time, my job is to bring Christians to Christ. He knew exactly what he was talking about. Churches that have the name Christian on them uh, only believe in Jesus, uh, the Jesus of their imagination. That's all. Billy Graham says, listen, I'm going to try to bring some Christians to Christ. Uh, a person, listen, a person can clean up their life and try to live as best they can by the Ten Commandments and still go straight to hell. The Savior is Jesus. He alone is the Savior. Here's a good definition. Conviction is a result of the Spirit of God using the Word of God through the faithful church of God. Um, Peter's words uh, in Acts 2.37 convicted them deeply. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Um, the Holy Spirit is trying to get people to realize that they, even though they mentally, and I don't have time to go into this this morning, even though they just believe in Jesus mentally, that's, that's not good enough. Our churches are filled with people who believe in Jesus mentally. They believe that Jesus was a historical person like they believe that Abraham Lincoln was a historical person. They are not trusting him to save them. Um, uh, Jesus, remember, um, said this in Matthew 5.20, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus just said in that statement, you can't work your way to heaven. It's impossible. 
And so I think that's what the Holy Spirit is uh, working on people's minds today, to show them, uh, to show them through you. Now, follow me here, please. Remember, the Holy Spirit is working. Jesus worked in a body. The Holy Spirit is working in the body, and that's the church. And the Holy Spirit is working through you to convince them uh, that they are not okay. Um, they are not okay. I was having a funeral a, a service not long ago, and I, I said in the course of my, and I always tried to give the gospel at the funeral, and I said, listen, don't trust the church to get you to heaven because the church cannot get you to heaven. After it was over, somebody came up to me and said, listen, I'm trusting the church to get me to heaven. And I spontaneously said, oh, no, don't do that in the presence of her husband. Uh, how will people know unless somebody give them the truth? Amen. How will they know? And you know, we can, go, we can go idly on in our life and it's so convenient not to tell the truth. And it's so easy uh, because uh, somebody will be offended if you give the truth. But it's a whole lot better to offend somebody and set them on the right path than not offend them, right? Uh, and so the Holy Spirit's job in the world is to convince the world uh, of the sin of unbelief. And then, look what else it says, and of righteousness because I go to my Father. Now, I've read extensively on this. This is referring to the righteousness of Christ. To shatter people's ideas about who Jesus Christ really was. I guess the centurion epitomizes this as well as anyone. Um, remember the centurion who stood by and watched Jesus be crucified? He said, truly, this is the Son of God. Uh, we made a mistake. And so Jesus was the sinless Son of God, and the Holy Spirit is trying to show people that. Listen, uh, he is who he said he was because of the resurrection. They put him in the grave. He didn't stay in the grave. He was resurrected, and he is alive. And then, verse number 11, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, I like that. And this is referring to the defeat of the devil. And I, I think that most of us in our church know that the devil was really mortally wounded on the cross when Jesus died on the cross. It looked like the devil's greatest victory, but it was his greatest defeat because he could no longer terrorize the human race. He could no longer scare everyone to death because people then knew that there was a hope beyond the grave and that death wasn't the end and Satan couldn't torture them with the idea of death. Did he before? Sure. Hebrews 2.14, let's look at that, uh, that verse of scripture. Here it is. Let's read it. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, next verse, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
That verse says that when Jesus died upon the cross, he defeated the devil that had been terrorizing the human race over the fear of death. And no longer now uh, can he do that to those who believe in Jesus. Because how can you threaten a Christian with heaven? Doesn't work. It doesn't work. We know that there is hope beyond the grave. We know that there is life beyond what we call death. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. But there's going to be this final judgment on the devil. Uh, On the cross, Satan was defeated, as far as we're concerned. But one of these days, his end is coming. Let's read about that. Matthew 25, 41. Let's read. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Next verse. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now that's the destination of the devil and all those who follow him. Everlasting punishment. But to the believer, it's everlasting life with the Lord. Now, the Holy Spirit is coming into the world to, to use the church, to go out and spread the truth to people that you know everywhere who are afraid to die, afraid to die, to tell them, listen, there is, as a Christian, no fear in death. The only thing we regret is that we have to leave the grandkids. That's it. That's about, that is the summation of it all. You know, it's like <laughs> we want to go to heaven, not now, because we want to play with the kids a little longer, right? Uh, there is a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. The Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. It's called the sweet by and by. On the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Um, This is the ministry. And and God has given it to you and to me. And yeah, the first part of the verse is applicable to us. Hatred, persecution, excommunication, death. Those are all possibilities. Uh, But... uh, to be able to rescue the perishing is a wonderful thing. Do you know that? Uh, to find somebody where you work and give them the truth. And, uh, and sometimes it's hard and they, they, uh, they are repulsed at first. But how will they ever be cured lest they know they have an illness? How will they ever be cured? Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. I'd like to ask you today uh, to look into your heart this morning. What kind of a soldier have you been recently to the people around you? You know, I know that sometimes people think, well, you know, if things get a little easier in my life, maybe I could serve the Lord a little better. You know, that may never happen. Uh, Things may get a lot harder for you. Uh, and uh, we have to serve the Lord whether it's easier or harder or whatever happens. 
uh, no matter what, what the world is throwing at us, uh, we should be throwing right back uh, the gospel, the, the way of salvation, because, and, and may God give us uh, the conviction of Paul. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the message of Jesus. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for uh, your word. It's alive, Lord. We can, it reverberates. It just bounces off the pages into our life. And uh, Lord, I think all of us can identify with almost everything that you have, uh, you were teaching your disciples back then. Uh, because we are your John the Apostles, and we are your Paul the Apostle, and we are uh, Peter the Apostle today. We are your people. We pray now that as we give the invitation this morning that you will move among us, Lord. Uh, touch our hearts for souls, Lord. Help us to overcome fear and embarrassment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. and. I'd like to invite you to make a decision today for Christ. Maybe the Lord is speaking to your heart. Maybe you've never been saved. Why don't you just come and kneel here and call out to God. If you'd like to come and join the church today, make a decision about the church, you just come as we sing together, okay?